Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, would you open it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in, front, in the chair in front of you, but for the most of our time today, I'm going to read the Bible to you, and, and you can just soak it in without having to try to find where we're turning. That's perfectly okay. As we celebrate today, as we do every week, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in human flesh, he came to this earth as a baby, and he grew up into a man. At 30 years of age, he began what we would commonly refer to as his ministry. And his ministry was to bring, to bring love and hope and encouragement and ultimately salvation in all those that would place their faith in him. Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament. The entirety of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He came as an answer to prophecy and predictions, and it was all known in the heart of God from the very beginning and before the beginning of time. On Good Friday, we spent some focused moments here looking at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The crucifixion was not limited to Jesus, the Roman government killed about 30,000 Jews using crucifixion. What is crucifixion? When they hung a man on a cross to torturously die a very slow death of asphyxiation or cardiac arrest. And before they ever put a man, before they ever put Jesus Christ on a cross, they beat him. The Bible uses the word scourging where they would take this cat of nine tails with bone and, and rocks and metal put it, and they would beat the back of a man so bad that most men just confessed to whatever they wanted them to confess to. They couldn't endure it, but Jesus endured it for you and for me. He took it all, the full weight and the full pain of the beating and the crucifixion, and he died on that cross. It was evident that he died. By the time they sent the soldiers to break the legs of those that were on the cross, including Jesus, they recognized they didn't need to break his legs because he was already dead. And you know why they would break the legs? Because they would put under the feet of someone hanging on a cross a little step, and with as much energy they could possibly muster, they would pull, push up just a little bit so there would be room in their lungs so they could take a breath and they would come back down and begin to suffocate until they kept doing that. So finally, they would just finally break the legs and then they wouldn't be able to stand anymore and they would die of that last suffocation. Jesus did that for you and me. They took him down off that cross and they put him into a tomb and sealed it up. And I imagine that there was a group of people that after they sealed the tomb, and they sealed it very significantly, both with a Roman seal of wax, so that if it was moved, you could tell, but also they stationed Roman guards there 24 hours a day to keep watch of the tomb. They were very concerned. And I'm sure after the burial and the sealing of the tomb that there was, there was a gathering somewhere in Jerusalem of the religious rulers, 
of the religious elite, the religious establishment, the ones that concocted the lies, the ones that hired liars, the ones who orchestrated this whole death of Jesus celebrating. They would be the religious rulers, the chief priests, the scribes, very excited that this man from Nazareth is dead and it's over and we don't have to deal with him anymore. And I'm sure that they were excited because they were able to make it happen without even getting their hands dirty. They were convinced the Roman government to do it on their behalf. And I'm sure there's a gathering somewhere in Jerusalem of great excitement, but on the other side of town, not so much. Because there was a group of people, I'm sure, gathering together greatly sorrowed and sad because they lost their best friend. One of the things I think we miss when we read through the Bible and we can easily overlook is the emotion of the moment. The Bible, the Bible that's in the chair in front of you, the one that I'm reading from here, is a real book filled with real stories of real people that lived in a particular time. Sometimes you might read the Bible and think, you know, I'm so different from the people in the Bible. I'm so different. They're almost like, you know, they're superheroes and they can do things that I could never do, but that's not so. Because the more you read the Bible, the more you understand that it's filled with real people, just like you, living real lives, going to work, raising a family, dealing with the issues of life in a real time. And, and truly, the only thing that separates you and me from the people of the Bible is just time, thousands of years. That's it. And they experience the same emotions that you experience. They made the same mistakes that you make. And they believed in the same Savior that many of you believe in. And some of you, by the time we leave here today, you're going to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. This is God's appointment today for you. As you hear of the love of God, why would a man do that? Why would he sacrifice his life in such a horrible way for you and for me? You know you. I know me. There's really not much in me that's worth the death of another man. I wouldn't say not much. There's nothing. If anyone deserves death in this room, it's me. Perhaps you'd agree it's you. And so you've got this group of people. The Bible calls them, you know, there were 12 people that followed Jesus very closely. The Bible calls them apostles. And then there were larger groups of people that would join in and follow Jesus. The Bible calls them disciples. And so here you have the people that believed in Jesus Christ, and yet in his final moments, leave him, desert him, and run away. And now they have to deal with the loss of their friend because they cast their whole life in following him. Like it was everything. It was all or nothing. As he would come by and say, hey, you, come follow me. They decided, yes, I'm going to follow you. I believe you. And, and they would give up everything, family, friends, money, career, to say, I'm going I'm to follow him. He's our hero. He's our champion. He's the one that God has sent into the world to give us freedom, to overthrow in their minds. And they incorrectly thought this, but nonetheless, they thought that the, the Messiah, the Savior Jesus, was going to overthrow the Roman government for them. And they would finally live in peace. But he came not to overthrow the government, but rather overthrow the power of sin and death in life. That's what he did. And so they've got to deal with all this, all the emotion. Now, by now, some of you are going, wait a minute, Ed, where are you getting all that from? Like, how do you know there's emotion? Well, let me show you. 
The Bible's clear. There's all kinds of stuff going on. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice in Luke 24, we meet these two guys walking on the road, having to process all of this. And Jesus appears to them after the resurrection, and he says in verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? They're sad. They're processing everything that happened, the crucifixion, and they're sad. Well, not only that, at the resurrection of Jesus, notice verse 1 of chapter 24. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were, here's the first emotion, greatly perplexed. This word means puzzled, to be at a loss. They don't understand. They're at a loss. Behold, two men or angels stood by them in shining garments. Verse 5. Then there, notice the next emotion, they were afraid. They bowed their faces to the earth. And the answer in verse 6 is, he is not here, he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Jump down to verse 11. When they were told others, their words seemed like idle tales. That literally means nonsense. They feel like what they've heard is nonsense. And how do they respond in verse 11? With unbelief. Then verse 12, Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, departed. Here's another one. They were marveling at himself. That word marvel means to wonder. So you've got sadness. You've got puzzlement. You've got being afraid or terrified. They think things are nonsense. They're unbelieving. But we have to go back just a little to understand. How did they get here? These that followed Jesus for three years. How are they so overcome with all this emotion? Well, it was a day before the crucifixion where they were all gathered together in what is known as the upper room for a meal. And as they're gathered together, they are told by Jesus that at the table is a betrayer. It isn't that one of the worst pains to ever experience is to be betrayed by someone you trusted. It's so painful. And so there they are, really not in any anticipation anything bad's going to happen. And Jesus says, hey, look, at the table right now is someone that's going to betray me. Here's how the Bible puts it. Jesus says, but here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who betrayed me. For I, the Son of Man, must die since it's a part of God's plan, but how terrible it will be for my betrayer. So how do the believers, how do they respond? Well, the disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? And they began to argue among themselves as to who would be the greatest in the coming kingdom. That's where they're at. Jesus is talking about betrayal and death, and what are they concerned about? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? Then Jesus tells them, that there's, that betrayer is going to sell, them, sell him out for 30 pieces of silver, for a few bucks. You know how easy it is to replace money. It's not easy to replace a life. And the betrayer is going to just take a few dollars to sell Jesus out. Jesus put it this way, Tonight all of you will desert me. For the scripture says God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And so Peter, one of the stronger followers of Jesus, he's got this self-confidence in him. And he hears these words, and he stands up, and he declares, even if everyone else deserts you, pointing to all of his friends there, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. I'll never do that. And 
Eventually, everyone joins Peter in self-confidence. As Jesus says, Peter, the truth is, this very night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. You'll go from zero to three very quickly. It's in you. No, Peter insists. Not even if I have to die with you. I'll never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. And so already in a pinch, right then, that evening, only moments later, the soldiers would come and take Jesus away. Well, Jesus, he takes these believers to a garden. We know it as the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of the Olive Press, where he invites his disciples to come and pray with him. And as Jesus is praying earnestly to the Father about what is up ahead, what are his followers, what are his disciples doing? They're sleeping. They fall asleep. You know why I think they fell asleep? Because they were tired. And it's hard to press into prayer when you're tired. And they're just being normal. They got a lot on their mind. They're not grasping the weight and the heaviness of the whole situation. And while Jesus is praying so earnestly in the garden where he's sweating drops like blood, they're asleep and they don't notice the agony in him. As he asks them to pray, they sleep. And so in one night, in one fell swoop, the night before Jesus died, the disciples are arguing, snoozing, and betraying. And the betrayal, it comes in that very same garden, you know. The guy that betrays Jesus, his name is Judas. He comes and he betrays Jesus with one of the most intimate displays of friendship and love. A kiss. Identifying Jesus from the crowd. Well, Peter, he gets excited and he wants to defend Jesus. He is not convinced yet that he will deny him. And so he pulls out a sword and he attempts to defend Jesus with the Roman guards there and And I'm certain that he went after the head, but he missed. And he got the ear. And Jesus, in one of his final miracles that he does in his earthly ministry, he heals up that ear. Had he not, I don't think we would have seen two thieves next to Jesus. One of the crosses would have had Peter, a capital offense. But where's the proof when Jesus heals the ear? Hey, he cut my ear off. Which one? Though this one looks fine to me. And yet, Jesus, he goes all the way to the cross and everyone runs away, just like he predicted. But all this is happening, Jesus says, to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scripture. And at this point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Peter, put your sword away. Get on with life. And they take him beat him, put him on a cross. Jesus does die. Jesus is buried. And the disciples are scattered and weary and tired. And they've got these, they've got these burdens that they're carrying now, considering what they said and what they could have done. They've got all this baggage. They're filled with regret. They're filled with remorse. And they're carrying on life with all these emotions that they really can't handle. And they consider that Jesus is dead and I fled. Jesus is dead and I ran away. I didn't help him. Peter has to deal with the, the, the denial of, of his Lord three times. And now it's done. The tomb, it's right over there. If the 
uh, any of them decided to walk by, they could walk by. They could see the stone in front of the opening. They could see the seal. They could see the Roman guards. And they would come to the same conclusion that you and I would come to. It's done. It's done. All our hopes and all our dreams and all our future is buried in that grave. And it's over. And it's done. Perhaps that's where you're at right now. Oh, it's not a tomb that you see sealed up, but it's life. You, you see it with your eyes and you come to the conclusion, it's done. Maybe you've come into this room today, maybe you're watching online or listening on the radio and, and you're not, only, not only are you saying it's done, but now you're concluding, I'm done. I'm just done. The relationship, it'll never work. I'm done, I quit. He will never change. I'm not waiting any longer. I'm filing the papers. My son, he'll never come home. My daughter, she'll never change. And you just resolved yourself to give up. Maybe it's in your life. You don't get it. And here you are today. You're saying, I don't understand it. And I'm just done. I don't want to do this anymore. Could be something as simple as finding a job. You're ready to quit. I'm never going to find a job. I'm never going to get respect. I'm never going to experience peace. I'll never get out of this. And there you are. I'm never, it's over, I'm done. That you come here today carrying burdens of life that you were never intended to carry. Your shoulders are so weighted down with the cares and concerns of life. And you know, all of us have cares and concerns in life. You could picture it if you want, like a backpack, you know? You put a backpack on, and then just this issue here is a big rock, you put it in. And then this issue, and before, you know, you, can, you feel like you can handle a few of them until there's 10 or 15 or 20, and then you begin to feel the weight of life, and you realize, man, I can't deal with this. And so often people choose to quit and give up, even getting mad at God. Are you angry at God today? Are you disappointed with where you believe he's taking your life? The disciples would be able to relate. The people in the Bible knew what it was like to feel the weight of their own mistakes. That's the personal side of life. We all have one. But you know, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, he died and rose again, not primarily to deal with the personal side of your life. Oh, he cares and he's concerned, but not only with the personal side of life. That takes second place to the spiritual side of your life. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it happened and occurred so that you and I might have the solution to our greatest need. You see, of all the things you deal with and all the things you have and all the things you think, all of that is eclipsed with the reality of sin. That's our biggest problem, sin. Not living up to the perfection of God. And you say, oh man, come on, Ed. Come on, pastor, perfection? Yes, perfection. That's what God requires. God, he's our creator. He can require whatever he wants from us. And he did. He requires perfection. And it doesn't take too long to examine your life, does it, to find out <laughs> you're not perfect. And just in case we try to skirt around it, 
The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's perfection or God's glory. We've all broken the law of God. And like Adam and Eve, the first real people we're introduced to in the Bible, Adam and Eve, that were placed in a real garden to live their lives, just like their failure. You know, they were put into the garden, and they were to enjoy life in relationship with God. And God tells them something like this. You can eat whatever you want in the garden. Really, God, whatever we want, whatever you want in the garden, except the fruit of that tree. You can't have it. And you know, what do you think their first response would have been? It would probably have been like ours. What tree? We can have everything, but that tree, which, where's that tree at? Which one? We want to know. <laughs> now, lest you blame Adam and Eve for your problems, I want you to consider, I want you to consider the kind of temptations that you face. For example, there you are walking in the park, walking the dog, and you come by a bench that says, wet paint, don't touch. And then there's that thought, I wonder if it's as wet as they say it is. And you walk over next to all the other fingerprints on there, and you just check, oh, it is wet. Yes, it is. I shouldn't have touched it. Or all the footprints on the grass that said, don't walk on the grass. You can walk wherever you want, but not here. We're just like them. And when they sinned, they, they lost that relationship with God. And you know what they tried to do? They tried to run away. Imagine trying to hide from God. And they ran away with really nowhere to go. Are you running today? You know, because there's a lot of running going on in this world today. There's a lot of running. Sin has wreaked havoc in our world today. And it's only getting darker and darker, not lighter and lighter. I was thumbing through the headlines in the news yesterday and just reading this article over here, this crazy thing's happening over here, and, and, and this crime's happening over there, and, and this, all, I mean, I don't know, if you, I hope you follow the news, but this world is filled with chaos and confusion where people recognize there's, not, there's something wrong with me. There's something going on. I feel empty. I feel incomplete. And so what do they do? They, they go after these things to try to fill that emptiness. Maybe even you. I mean, we're so, this, is, this world's unbelievable. You know what they're looking at right now? You know what they think the hope of the world is? It's not just artificial intelligence. There are actually people on the earth today that believe if we can just get to Mars, the answer to life's problems is on Mars. Listen, the answer to life's problems is not on Mars. The answer to life's problems is on earth. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. He lived, died, and rose again so that your sins can be forgiven and you can enter into the true solution of your life to be back in relationship with God. Don't waste your money on Mars because salvation is free. It's been given to you by God. Now someone listening in is like, really? The answer is really not on Mars? No! Or on any other planet or in any other technology. You know, when you're running from sin, you do a lot of destructive things. People try to run away from their sin with the bottle. 
because it numbs down the feelings. It gives a sense of, sort of a sense of peace, except the problem with alcohol is that you can't have enough and you drink to de- desensitize, but then you drink so much you become drunk, then you become another person. I mean, I just met a brother last night. I talked to him last night. As I came up to him, you could tell. You could tell something was up with him. I didn't know ex- exactly until I got up close to him. And one of the first things out of his mouth to me is, please, pastor, please, pastor, forgive my breath. I said, you've been drinking, haven't you? He says, yeah. And he was here with his wife. And he was under the influence last night. Glad he was here. Gospel could go forth into his life and he can be encouraged. And so I spent the next five minutes looking him in the eyes and saying, there's hope for you. You don't have to run to the bottle. It's not helping you anyway, is it? It makes you a different person, doesn't it? And he's answering yes, because I lived that life for many years. And I look at his wife and I said, he's a different person when he's not drinking. Yes. You want him to stop, don't you? Yes. It would be everything good for your family if he would. Yes, yes, yes. You can't smoke enough joints to desensitize the pain of sin. You can't drink enough beer or whiskey or whatever it is you're into. You can't have enough sexual relationships that will take away the pain of the issue of your separation from God. You see, what's happening is you're just like Adam and Eve. You're running away from God with nowhere to go. And instead of accomplishing the solution that you think you're going to get, you're just making things harder for yourself and for those that are close to you that love you and care for you. You can't tell me that pornography is helping you. Because it's not. You can't tell me that drunkenness or relationship after, you can't tell me the pursuit after your career is really giving you the peace and satisfaction that you're searching for. Because it's not. That peace for the burdens in life is only found in Jesus Christ. That's what he said. He said, Jesus, he said, not a church, not a pastor, not a religion, not a priest. Jesus said this. He said to us, he said, are are you weary? Are you tired? Are you tired of where your life is right now? I'm paraphrasing. Are you tired of your condition of your life? Are you weary? Do you feel like you have heavy burdens? The old King James, heavy laden. Do you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders? Jesus says, come to me, those of you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you more burdens, more problems. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I will give you rest. Isn't rest what you're looking for? Peace, satisfaction, contentment, confidence for the future. Isn't that what you're looking for? And yet, because you keep choosing to run, things are only getting worse. God has given you the solution for the spiritual side of your life. That once the spiritual side is taken care of, then God begins to work on the personal side. But man, you know, another thing we all share here, we don't don't only just share the sin issue. I have sin, so do you. (laughs) That's not all we share. We also share the cares and concerns of life. Everyone in here has something on their mind. Everyone. Something that you're dealing with. Some bigger than others, of course, but for you, it's big. That's why we don't compare. We we don't try to compare, well, you know, what I'm going through is not as bad as what you're going through. No. Jesus said in this world we'll have trials and tribulation. He said it. But then he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And, you know, you don't need another pastor preaching at you 
trying to define for you all the sins in life, although I know I touched on some that are very relevant to those of you here today. I mean, if we just went through and how the Bible declares, you know, the Bible says don't lie. God says don't lie. So if you examine your life, you go, well, you know, maybe one time I told a white lie. Guilty. You know, the Bible says don't steal. You start examining your life, well, you know, I've taken something that doesn't belong to me. Okay. The Bible says don't covet. And you start thinking, wow, now you're getting personal because I have wanted what someone else had really bad. And you don't need me to list out, you don't need me to list out a whole list of things trying to hit everybody that's listening because the Holy Spirit is already convincing you through your conscience. You already know. You could tell me better about what's in your life than I could tell you. And the only remedy that's available to you and me is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through all the fear, all the anxiety, all the issues, all the broken relationships, on the cross, Jesus Christ died for everything bad that you've ever done. And on the cross, Jesus died for all the wrong places you've ever gone, all the wrong thoughts you've ever had. He died for all the wrong words you've ever said. And in his resurrection, he proved to you of his love for you. That was God's response to your condition, my condition, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's hard to be loved, isn't it? It's hard to be loved when you're in the midst of all this behavior. You don't even like yourself. And so when you hear some guy telling you about God's love, you're like, well, man, I I need to learn how to love myself first. No, no, no. Just accept the truth that God loves you. You're still alive and still breathing, and there's still hope for you. Accept the truth that 2,000 years ago, God fulfilled his promise in making salvation. We need to be saved. We are no match for sin. We are no match. We'll never overcome it on our own. Ever, never, ever. The longer you go, the harder it gets. And the harder your heart becomes. And the angrier you become. But God, he speaks to you right now. And the resurrection makes all the difference in the world. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you what we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to cover it up and deny it. But rather, we're to confess it and come clean before God. And the Bible word for that is repent. Repent. You know, people that are skateboarders, they totally understand the word repent. Because in the skateboard world, it refers to a 180. You go in the exact opposite direction. That's what, that's what the Bible says. If you, if you want a life that's right, then you have to turn from your sin. You have to turn around and go in the opposite direction, trusting God, not yourself. Even if today, and I know some among you, some among us today, even if this is you, you, you might even be looking at me and go, you know what, Pastor Guy, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as you were. You sound like you were really bad. I was. I was. Worse than I could even describe. Every time my wife, who is now my wife for 29 years this year, every time we share another story, I learn something worse about myself. That's how bad it was. So you're right. You're probably much better than I was. And I'd give that to you. I, I and many times, wish I would have lived my life that way. But I didn't. But see, the good news is it's not about comparing your life with mine. Because ultimately, you're not as good as you think you are in God's estimation. You know, as well as I, 
that the internal struggle of your life over sin is a serious one. And you won't win. It will only get worse. And you will only get harder and harder and harder. And so I invite you today, those of you that love Jesus Christ, worship and rejoice in the resurrection. And those of you that don't, you've never repented of your sin, like that, that's, that's why God would have you in this room today. That's why. You might be here as a favor. You might be here because you're visiting from out of town and, you know, I was invited. And it, great, but I'll tell you the real reason you're here. The real reason you're here is to come face to face with the love of God, repent of your sins, and surrender your life to him today. That today might become your spiritual birthday, your spiritual birthday, that everything will turn on like a hinge on a door. Everything turns on the decision you make today. So, Father, as we come to you and rejoice in the life that you give, and just come to terms with the reality of your love and your grace and your mercy. <clears throat> it's true. We've all sinned. And it's true that we can't have victory over sin apart from you. Here we are coming together, excited, singing about victory, and yet there are many listening in that haven't experienced victory yet. They just kind of think it's religion or some religious thing or church or whatever. And we're sorry, God, for all the damage that has been done in misrepresenting you. And even as we're here today, you're calling people to yourself, asking them, pleading with them to come clean before you. And if you're here today as the church is praying, if you need to come clean before God, I want, it, I want you to do that. I want to give you the chance and the opportunity to do just that. Because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One thing we didn't talk about is all the physical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 500 people saw him at one time. 500 people. It's an amazing truth of the witnesses. Like, you know, you go, Ed, well, you're just using the Bible to defend the Bible. No, no, no. Because the Bible was written at a time where the claim of those 500 witnesses were still alive. And they could have said, no way, you're lying. What are you writing that for? It's not true. But there's no historical evidence ever of that taking place. But instead, we have the historical evidence of man after woman after woman after man literally giving up their life for the testimony of the resurrection. It's true. And in this room, you're surrounded by hundreds upon hundreds of people that have the same testimony, just a different perspective. Jesus is alive, and he's calling you into a relationship with himself today. So if that's you, and you're here today, you say, Ed, I do need to get my life right with God. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of covering. I'm tired. I'm weary. Well, I'm inviting you now to come to Jesus in a very real way. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you where you're at. Would you just stand to your feet and let me lead you in a prayer. Just acknowledge that you need God in your life, that you want your sins forgiven. God bless you guys. You want your sins forgiven. You desire to be, have a right relationship with the God that created you. God bless you guys in the back. It's right here in the front. Maybe you're downstairs. I don't see you in the overflow, but it's not about me seeing you. Although it's super cool to do it in the room because then we can rejoice and be happy with you, your family and your friends. Like, make a public acknowledgement. God bless you. And 
you as well. I mean, this is the, the hinge of your life. This is the real deal. This is no religious expression. Like, this is your admission of your guilt and your surrender of your life to the one who forgives you. Friend, my life was forever changed when I repented of my sin in a room just like this. I just couldn't believe that God would love me. I just, I knew me, I knew, my, I knew where I came from, and yet his love broke through. And he wants to break through in your life today. And so pray with me, would you? You can, the Bible says to confess with your mouth, so I'm gonna lead you in a prayer where you can ask God to forgive you right now. You could say something like this. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin because I believe you sent Jesus to live for me, die for me, and I believe, Jesus, you rose again from the dead. And I surrender the spiritual side of my life to you, and I ask you to help me with the personal side of my life. I want to follow you all the days I have left. Help me, God, to turn away from my sinful past. I repent. And help me to follow you, live for you, experience life in you, God, from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.